0: this is pretty much pop a culture podcast here to enlighten you or at least huddle with you in shared confusion about whatever the hell is going on today we're talking about the limited disney plus series wandavision i'm mark linson not so much festooned with fans serving easter eggs as merely incomprehensible
1: wow i'm erica spires Still trying to wrap my brain around whether or not something counts as magic or as a mutant power.
2: And I'm Brian Hurt, and I enjoyed WandaVision so much, I just wish there were some movies set in that universe. And our guest. And I'm
3: Rolando Nieves, co-host of Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals, and a documentary
2: filmmaker. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. Now, spoiler alert, I haven't watched WandaVision, so let's not talk about the ending. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> But we should have some kind of warning up front for our listeners, question mark. Can we just maybe give the premise, give some initial reactions, and then, yes, we're going to spoil the crap out of it very quickly because you can't not, right? True. All right, we're going to give a warning when we start to spoil stuff. So let's go a while without ruining the end because it did just, we're recording this the day after the series finale titled The Series Finale. So yeah, Rolanda, do you have can you sum up a little of what this is about? Sure. So Wanda Visions follows the immediate
3: aftermath of Avengers Infinity War. And in this story, we have Wanda still grappling with the grief of losing her love Vision, a robot which raises some ethical questions. But as a result of her grief, she creates a weird town that's like stuck in like these old sitcoms. And that's how she manifests her grief through television.
0: And I think you've demonstrated that it's impossible to even describe the show without spoiling it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I, think I guess even
3: that. I that, did, that well,
2: I feel like <laughs> at this point, most people know that I feel yeah. like. It's not spoiling anything to say what happens in episode four, right? <laughs> <laughs>
3: In this age of streaming, I feel like most people have seen episode four. I think it's safe to assume that you cannot assume that everyone has seen the final episode. But by episode four, you know, considering we're nine's episode in, we should be fine.
0: All I knew about this was that it was a tribute to classic sitcoms when I went in. That was it. That there's like, Mm. it's going to look a little like Bewitched and the Dick Van Dyke show, you know, in the first couple episodes. I knew nothing more than that. Not why this was happening. Not how this fit in. Nothing.
2: I hope this is a bit of service to anyone who started watching this and didn't get past the first few episodes, because I think this was a high bar of entry for people who didn't quite have faith that this is going to be not just a pastiche of sitcom tropes for episode after episode. I mean, they hinted and they hinted hard, but maybe if you're not getting the hint, you're like, boy, this kind of sucks. So...
1: Yeah, my mother has not seen all of the MCU movies, and she caught the first episode and told us, yeah, I I watched it. I thought it was kind of weird. And for somebody who doesn't know a lot about it, I thought my mom would really like it because of all the throwbacks to the TV shows that she grew up with. Instead, she just felt disconnected from it. And of course, you know, she's kind of an expert at that genre. So if things weren't ringing true, she was like, well, it's not as good as what the original was. And we had to be like, wait, wait, just a second, Mom. This is what's happening. This is where it's kind of going. And she goes, oh, okay. All right. Now, and then she was interested. So I think you're right. The barrier to entry is interesting for this one, because even if you haven't seen... All the MCU movies, maybe especially if you haven't seen all the MCU movies, you don't really understand what it's trying to do. But then again, those of us who have seen them all and multiple times also didn't quite understand what it was trying (laughs) to do.
3: It's funny, right? Because one of the things that I kept reading from critics about this show was if you're like a passive or not even a fan of comic book movies, that you would enjoy the show. And I found that to be completely the opposite i am a avid comic book movie watcher i enjoy them and i just thought that it's just like there's no way if you're not if you're not into the mcu universe i guess that's you know you're not going to really enjoy this show as much as like even if you're a passive tv watcher just because having all these references to past tv shows means nothing if you don't know what's going on in the storyline
0: I remember, Brian, you saying that you were more glad to have watched these initial episodes than to actually go through the experience of watching them.
2: I think that's right, Mark. I appreciated them. And I will say that for doing a a tribute, if you want to call it a tribute or a parody or pastiche or whatever, of especially the 50s sitcom, it was really sharp, clever writing. I feel like they got some people who understood the way Carl Reiner wrote because it was just really good. But boy, I mean, I was watching with the hope and belief that it would not just be this. And I wouldn't have watched Nine episodes of that. I think watching those old TV shows is, is mostly nostalgia enjoyment more than actually enjoying the trouble that Lucy and Laura Petrie get themselves into and out of. But, you know, once it really got going, this show really had me till the end. And it was definitely appointment viewing for me, that's for sure. And the internet, this is something I didn't want to get spoiled. Much like watching The Mandalorian, you just kind of had to watch when it happened because I just knew that the circles that I ran in and the things that show up on my newsfeed. It was going to be no way that I wasn't going to have like the, the reveal of who the villain was at the end of episode seven, for example.
3: So I agree with you, right? I did not want to get anything spoiled about this show. However, this was one of those shows where like anything that everyone predicted seemed wrong by the end of the series. And I really appreciate that because it means it keeps even the most diehard fanboys on their toes, not knowing what to expect. I think some of those were teases that didn't pay off. But,
2: you know, let's just announce that we're now spoiling. I feel like you're holding back. <laughs> I don't consider fan theories to be spoilers. I, I think that's just community engagement. I appreciate that someone has watched movies more. If they've seen Endgame seven times and they say, well, did you notice this? It's like, well, of course I didn't notice it. I've only seen it twice. And I was only kind of half paying attention the second time. Or I turned it off as soon as I admit I didn't like rewatch Tony Stark's funeral. Wait, did I just spoil That's a movie God, that's three God. years old? Yeah. <laughs>
1: For somebody who doesn't like spoilers, you certainly are just giving them away for free. You would
2: seek that out, Rolando. Did you propagate it as well? Are you out there putting your own theories into the multiverse?
3: I don't actively seek out those theories. The search algorithm feeds them to me. So I'm constantly, if I just pop on YouTube, like that's all I'm going to see like right after these episodes. And I'm assuming it's my husband watching YouTube videos on my account. That's the reason I'm getting these videos. And occasionally sometimes they'll make like these wild theories that I am forced to just say, so like, let me hear, let me hear you out. And then from there make a decision on my own. But I work in media and I wanted to be a filmmaker. Of that sense. So like, I understand like the appeal of trying to break down what the creators thinking. But what I appreciate about the show was the fact that it's just like, well, we all had our ideas that even I was feeding into. Spoiler alert, the Quicksilver storyline here that was kind of being fed into us, I kind of like, you know, if you love the X-Men universe, you know why it's not connected to the Marvel Cinematic Universe you assume that now that disney owns both properties both franchises that this would be like how you're going to merge them naturally and then by the end of the series you're just like oh nope i guess that was a red herring if ever there was one (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know but i was ready to feed into that theory because i'm just like well it makes sense it's is the only logical way the story can go and it turns out it
1: wasn't wasn't at all they just for some reason cast evan peters anyway They did give a nod to it, at least with the the kick-ass thing that she says between the two Pietros.
0: Well, and the fact that Quicksilver Jr. takes the hat off the guy, this was something a video pointed out to me, that like, oh, that's a thing that in X-Men Days of Future Past, he also takes a hat off of a guy as he's zipping around very fast.
3: He does, yeah, while fighting the military, no less, I think.
1: So Marvel does this really interesting thing, and I'll bring it up now because we're talking about how strange this was. Like, it it really was a, a strange way to introduce... This character in her own kind of film or TV show, it ends up being a TV show, but it's basically kind of plays like a long form film. Marvel puts together all of these films in a way that they are definitely connected, but they still feel like their own thing in so many ways. So I felt like that with Taika Waititi coming in and kind of handling the Thor storyline in a very new way, right? And then we have, yeah, I just rewatched Doctor Strange. That definitely felt like a different type of movie than a lot of the Avengers movies. Then we have Guardians of the Galaxy, which also felt like kind of it was its own thing. And eventually these all come together and interweave. In that way, I felt like the weirdness of this was just kind of perfect. It was the first time they really delved into this television thing. And they took a character that we already knew, but we hadn't really explored all of her powers before. In my head, I think it was quite a risk and that it paid off. How did you all feel? I
0: liked it enough that I am not looking forward to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier because I'm feeling like that's just going to be more of an ordinary superhero thing when it actually got to the end of this show and it was a more ordinary superhero battle face off. I I was kind of let down. (laughs) i wanted it to just keep being its weird own thing yeah i
3: think that's fair i would say like having that big boss battle kind of diminished a little bit of like the emotional impact that the show was having on me however any chance i get to have american audiences recognize the power that is Catherine Hahn, i say i'm like i'm <laughs> all for it because i've loved her since parks and rec that's where i first saw her and then he's watching her here she's just such a breath of fresh air so even though she was a big bad and it was just a big boss battle at the end i think like getting ready for the next show it's like i can't expect it to be as whimsical as this one because that's what i would describe the show the show was just pure whimsy it was weird but it was so fun to watch i didn't expect that right because it's a marvel tv show i my expectation was like after infinity wars who cares And here we are, Marvel delivering a property of a story of characters that I didn't even care about, even when I was watching the Infinity Wars, right? Because I'm not a big fan of Wanda's accent from our Olsen sister here. (laughs) And I didn't care about her relationship with Vision. Even in the comics, I never cared. My husband, he's like a avid Marvel reader, and he was never a fan of like the Vision and Wanda storyline. And I think the care that they handled into making us care for these characters was so well done. And I was so shocked as by the end of the show, was just like, oh, this I'm so sad this is over.
0: I'm so sad about these kids that we've known that even our protagonists have known for two days, <laughs>
1: three days, what? That was a hard watch for me because in the scene previous, we had seen Wanda opens up the hex to allow the townies to leave. And while she is doing that, you see her children and father being ripped apart and screaming. And then she puts them to bed, knowing that it's going to do the same thing. And somehow it's like (laughs) you feel like she's just giving them the Kool-Aid and hoping that they fall asleep before they feel their bodies being ripped apart.
2: Though somehow I'm going to go with the Tron terminology here that they were de-rezzing. It seemed really painful when she opened the hex. But when we saw Vision at the very end, it seemed to be more of a beautiful.
1: Yeah, but how? How do you justify that? Is it movie magic or, or is there like?
2: It's plot convenience, I think is what it is. (laughs)
3: It's Wanda figuring out the inner peace and therefore she's accepted that she's a Scarlet Witch by that point, right? So she's just like, I do have all this ultimate power. I will make this as peaceful a transition as possible.
1: I like that answer. I'm satisfied with that. Thank
2: you. The, uh, The whole show is this exercise in grief, right? And maybe I should think through this because it's just coming to me now. Whether or not the series does go through the five stages of loss. Well, starting with denial at the beginning and acceptance at the end. And maybe it hits the other three along the way. It's a tough thing to do, and I think that part of it was handled really successfully. I totally believed that she was suffering and having to go through this process the way she was, and the collateral damage, specifically the townies, as you refer to them, Erica, were huge. I mean, we didn't even realize until towards the end of just how much they were suffering. We knew it was painful, but when they were like begging to be put to death rather than having to go back to playing these roles, that was really something. Well, there are little
0: things like, why are there no children around? But then it's the Halloween episode and there are children all over the place. And they're showing what people at the edge of town that she's not focusing that much on, how they're barely moving. And yes, that was kind of introduced very slowly and still not even made clear until I think that moment when the woman is saying how, yes, my child has been locked in his room. (laughs) Like you haven't let him out.
3: So that might be the where I have like the ethical questions for me come into play here because a lot of my social circle when it comes to like for example civil war if you guys know the plot for civil war that is the government saying you know superheroes have too much power we need to like rein them in a little and i was on tony stark's side because i agree superheroes have too much power who is responsible for these messes after they have been caused by superheroes Wandavision. Division creates another perfect example of that where is the justice for these people of westview knowing the fact that one of our characters monica lets wanda go to live freely it's just like where's her punishment she still needs some form of punishment to appease these people who had to go through this trauma right it's not fair that she goes through her own form of grief and she has to like push it upon these people to deal with it too you know so i was a little bit on the fence on like how they handle that right because just like one person's grief does not give reason to cause all this pain to everyone else i don't know how you guys felt about that
1: no absolutely the same way yeah it was weird that she just kind of walked off I was watching the kind of funny review on this and they're like, yeah, she apologizes to Monica, but not to the people like that are right behind her who've been crying with her. She just <laughs> chokes
2: them and then leaves them. That's she's like, right. hey, see ya. This is also an origin story. Because she does enter the story as Wanda Maximoff and ends the story as Scarlet Witch. And I think it's common to make some mistakes and cause some suffering along the way. So much like Peter's uncle dies because if he is going through his origin story and doesn't maybe do the heroic thing. You mean the origin uncle man?
0: Sorry, just your pronoun placement made it sound like it was Peter's uncle's origin story. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well obviously you, okay mark go ahead and, and finish my thought for me thank you <laughs> i would love to see uncle man i'm sorry please go on right i was getting caught between uncle ben and uncle owen so i was like i know it's uncle somebody in any case i feel like we can forgive missteps during an origin story the way we maybe will get a little bit more stuck in things later on and we will now expect her maybe to do better and I'm sure we'll get more of her. I hope we will. I mean I don't know what's going to happen. My understanding is White Vision was also has another name and might be from the comics as well. Am I right about that? Do you know, Rolando? That I cannot
3: answer. I'm not a big Vision fan either, so.
0: A
2: video told me that
0: that scene of White Vision showing up and choking her was like straight from the comics.
3: Oh, interesting. Okay,
0: So that that is Vision. That's like like the actual vision.
3: So Marvel just has spousal abuse going on. They're cool with it.
1: He was programmed that way. He
3: didn't have his memories unlocked at that point. Yeah, <laughs> And therein lies the flaw of falling in love with an alien, uh, with a robot. You uh, know?
0: That happened in Smallville every week. One of the main characters would, would get <laughs> amnesia and try to kill everybody. All is forgiven.
1: It was this week when my husband and I were watching one of these movies and then I always i am like, oh, well tell me about this origin story and tell me about this. It was about Black Widow. And who all of her different lovers through the years. And he's like, well, in this storyline, she's with this person and here. she's with this. And I was like, oh, and he goes, yeah, it's like soap operas. It's just like a soap opera. Nobody ever truly dies. People get amnesia. You know, there are different versions of the same character that keep happening. And that's totally how this feels right? It's like, how many versions of Vision? Which one is really him? Are any of them? Are all of them? She doesn't really have to pay for her sins yet. But you know what? They did set up that entire town to be pissed at her. So now that she's gone away, and she's really getting the powers of the Scarlet Witch, are we going to start to see as more mutants come in as well? Are we going to start to see like a resurgence of that kind of Civil War storyline kind of coming back?
3: Another Civil War too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a comic book, you know? That's the question then. As a viewer, do I want to see another rehash of that story? Like, There are so many other Marvel storylines out there. It's just like, do I need to see a sequel to Civil War? We're already living through another Civil War here in this country, right? So it's just like, I don't need to see it on TV.
2: (laughs) Well, I think something you said, Erica, about these different styles of movies, and you know, you were totally spot on, and I guess I hadn't kind of thought of it that way, but I think one of the negative consequences is when you pull them all together for an Avengers movie, it does kind of seem like a mishmash of way too many characters, and none of them get quite enough screen time to make any of them interesting. And there's something that just feels kind of off and weird about the Guardians of the Galaxy doing stuff with Thor or with Iron Man. And it's almost like when these, I feel like it was like Allie McBeal and Boston Legal had like these crossover shows or, or maybe, no, I think it was like Ellie McBeal and Homicide Life on the Street. And it's like, wait, one of these is like a comedy and one's like a cop show, but they had the same producer or something. And they had a two hour episode where the case continued from one to the other. It was just bonkers and interesting, but not particularly good. And I feel like that's where Infinity War, and particularly Endgame, suffered the most, was just this clash of styles that didn't quite come together. Or I felt like I was watching a version of the Guardians, but not the real Guardians. Like, they kind of acted differently for the big Avengers movie. Yeah. But I would argue that that
3: happens in comic books, too, though. Like, when you have those big crossover events the individual stories told by those individual writers stay tonally the same. But when it comes to like those big crossover events, you have one singular writing trying to write the voices of all these characters that he's not really used to or she. And sometimes you run into the same problem where it doesn't feel like I'm reading a guardians of the galaxy comic. I never thought about that, but a guardians of the galaxy movie has a wit and a comedy to it that is not present at the same level as a Avengers movie. But Me as someone who reads comic books casually,
2: it's not something I thought about just because like I was used to that on some degree, Mm. you know? Are those big spectacle comic crossovers? enjoyable good interesting i tend to
3: like the dc ones so i'm a bigger dc comic book reader than i am a marvel reader and the dc big crossovers are always fun because they're always universe shattering in some way somehow usually rebooting the entire continuity for all the characters
0: dc is just more messed up in the first place yeah but D- yes <laughs> in terms of continuity
3: they have no idea what they're doing And I I mean, I just found out that my husband told me that DC is rebooting their universe one more time. And I feel like it was just like three years ago when we just got a reboot. So
0: I went through a period of reading Marvel. Actually, I think it was the Civil War event and the Avengers Initiative. And there was a number of them in a row. The Secret Invasion, which is going to be a TV show coming up. There was usually one. I can't remember who the writers were, but, you know, a couple key writers, Brian Michael Bendis, I think, that would do those that were, I think, really good writers in the first place. So I mostly liked those kind of events, you know, that they were not purely marketing things like you should really go read (laughs) what all of the individual characters are doing during this event, that there was some kind of purpose and it made it feel like you actually had a handle on it in a way that you just wouldn't if it was completely disparate and with the occasional crossover.
3: One of the big crossovers that actually influenced a lot of this TV show, or at least uh, a little bit of the storyline, was the House of M storyline, which was a big Marvel crossover that had to do specifically with her powers and making mutants like superior to the humans. They have like their own island where Magneto is the king, but this is all an illusion created by her. This is when we're seeing like the full breadth of her power, the Scarlet Witch's power. And when the heroes finally break through to her as punishment for the pain and suffering that she's been caused, because she, it turns out like her kids aren't real and she has to deal with this grief now. What's her punishment to the mutants? She decides mutants aren't real and all mutant population just like disintegrates almost immediately and that had huge ramifications for the marvel universe the writers promised a little bit of that here in this so this is where we again get to see like the full breadth of her powers and we see her develop and you know the creation of her children who do become important characters for the future of the avengers one of them will grow up to be gay guys
1: let's take a quick moment for a sponsor break if you're like me you've been looking at a screen all day huh give your eyes a break, and give your ears a little something special. With Raycons, you can take time out from the screens and tune in to your favorite podcast, audiobook, or playlist. Raycons are sleek and fashionable, and, you know, they're the only pair of earbuds that I own that don't pop out at weird angles and look silly on my face. They're super comfortable, and they're very easy to use and pair with your phone or your computer. Did I mention they're water and sweat resistant? So you don't have to hesitate to wear them during your toughest workouts. Even better, you get six hours of playtime with each charge. Raycons were made with you in mind. They provide great sounds at half the price of other premium brands. Raycon's offering 15% off all of their products for my listeners, and here's what you've got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash pretty. That's it. You'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order, so feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash pretty. Buyraycon.com slash pretty.
2: Okay, I'd like to talk to you about Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks and entertainment. Where I live, it's somehow 100 degrees warmer than it was just three weeks ago. And that means getting busy with outdoor activities, long walks, yard work, alfresco cooking, lots of free time for the ears for audiobooks. For me, my recent rediscovery of Agatha Christie led me into murder mysteries, and on a friend's recommendation, I'm already deep into the audiobook, The Word is Murder. This is a contemporary murder mystery novel by Anthony Horowitz, and it features as a main character, murder mystery novelist Anthony Horowitz. It's a meta mindbender with pitch-perfect narration by Penny Dreadful's Rory Kinnear. I'm so interested to hear this through to the end, and my dog appreciates the longer walks while I'm listening. Well, I hope she does. Whatever your interest, mood, or favorite activity, you can find something on Audible as well. Comedy, romance, suspense, true crime, science fiction, or fitness and wellness. New members can always try Audible Plus for 30 days on us. Visit audible.com pretty or text PRETTY to 500-500 to get started. Audible Plus gives you access to thousands of titles and podcasts, with no limits on what you can download and stream. So there's no excuse not to get up and get moving this spring while still pursuing intellectual stimulation. Or diversion. Or cheap thrills. I have no illusions about my murder mysteries. It's up to you. Audible has you covered. Once again, for a one-month free trial, visit audible.com pretty or text P-R-E-T-T-Y to 500-500. Okay, back to the discussion.
0: Did you expect at the end she would go into a rage and say,
2: Sony is part of Marvel now! Or <laughs> That should win the payoff at the end,
3: right? She's just like, mutants are real. And now we, there we go. <laughs> Boom, problem solved for Disney. They've
0: been here all along.
1: I think the show did a wonderful job with their casting overall. And yes, it was a story centered around Wanda, but we had some amazing major players along with her, including Jimmy Woo. Hoping to see him in some more upcoming movies. Does anybody know if he's slated for any coming up?
0: I'm sure they're going to reuse all those S.H.I.E.L.D. guys. I actually didn't remember that he was in Ant-Man and the Wasp until this was like a video pointed out to me. Whereas I remembered the woman who was in Thor, the one from Two Broke Girls, who was just like Kat a Dennings. minor tech. Just Yeah, because kind of Kat Dennings has is such a distinctive. And I, of course, I, I recognize the actor who played Jimmy Woo But more from like, oh, he's from the fresh off the boat, not from a Marvel thing.
3: (laughs) Right. I think he's such a breath of fresh air. I loved his romantic relationship with the Ant-Man. So that's why he was so memorable for me. There were like little hints of homoeroticism there that I was hoping that they would develop a little more. But, you know, the act, Randall Park, right? Yeah, Randall Park. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love his stuff. Like he won me over in Fresh Off the Boat, but I also loved him in Veep.
2: He was so good in that. Yeah, he's, oh my gosh. he's so
3: good. And he's just such, he has, he's a good comedic actor. I think he adds a levity to the Marvel movies that sometimes they, they all need.
1: Mm-hmm. They do. Yeah. And Kat Dennings also just, I don't know if she can ever help but not be funny. She's always just also a breath of fresh air when she's in something. We went back and rewatched. One thing I think that was great about what this TV show did is it made me want to go back and rewatch so many things. So we rewatched the very first Thor, we rewatched Ultron, and rewatched Doctor Strange. And Boy, Marvel just does a wonderful job of continuity. (laughs) Just in general, their continuity is fantastic. Even when it comes to, we were watching a Nerdist review about WandaVision, the colors of magic that you see in Doctor Strange and the colors of magic that you see in WandaVision. The color that the other witches put on to Agatha is blue. And when they hit her, her eyes and body light up red, but then the power that comes out of her is purple. So the culmination of both. And then in Doctor Strange, they were talking about the color. Now I've got to remind myself, Maz Mickelson's character.
3: Was it green or yellow?
1: I'm looking it up right now because I thought I was going to remember. I think it was yellow. No?
3: Yeah, I think their their magic is like on the gold, like yellowish gold. Yeah. It's like Infinity Stone related.
1: Right. All of these colors do mean something. So the fact that Wanda's magic is red is supposed to be the chaos magic.
2: Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Well, And the red is the reality stone, right? In Hex, altered reality, whereas purple was the power stone. And that was clearly Agatha wielding power. Thanks, Internet. Yeah. No, I just know. All that. I'm, I'm just wearing my infinity glove here. You just can't see because I'm holding my hand low.
3: Well, that's the beauty of having someone like Paul Feige. Like you need to have someone at the helm kind of making all these creative decisions, even behind the scenes, because... DC does not have that, and that's why the movies that try to have continuity have all suffered.
2: It's having a showrunner for a series of movies, mm-hmm. right? The analog to that. Just make good decisions. It's hard because it's easy to make easy choices that aren't interesting. So to continue to be interesting and have good continuity, is, I think, takes a lot of hard work.
0: So how much are we supposed to know? What is the ideal amount? It seems like these people that know all the stuff from the comics and they they see all the Easter eggs— I don't know. I guess the ideal is that you want to appeal to those people, but you also want to appeal to someone who knows nothing at all. And I did, I watched these with my daughter who has not seen the Dick Van Dyke show or Growing Pains. I was having to pause and say, oh, this is like the opening of Family Ties, you know, and say, tell her something about Family Ties. But she actually just enjoyed them for the jokes and like seemingly enjoyed the whole thing. I feel weird about the fact that like I have seen all the Marvel movies, but yet not only did I not remember Randall Park, I didn't remember that Monica Rambeau, that that character was directly out of the Captain Marvel movies because I haven't seen them multiple times. Well, you, can,
3: you guys can be forgiven for that. She was a child <laughs> in, when she was in the movies. They aged her up because of, you know. Five years later, and then it was set in the 90s. So, yeah, that, that's a forgivable thing because I also, <laughs> as someone who watches these Marvel movies, I was also, I didn't catch it.
2: Well, you know, Mark, I connected with your daughter and I asked her what part she liked the least of that show, and she said it was dad pausing all the time. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ooh.
1: Ah, no response. I love it.
0: <laughs> Teachable moments. <laughs>
3: So out of curiosity, how knowledgeable are you guys with, like, Marvel lore? Like, did you guys find yourselves trying to do research on some of these characters after their appearances? Or were you guys just going along with the ride and hoping that, like, the show would do a good job of recapping who they are or explaining who they will become? Do you mean outside the movies? Only with the information that you have on hand, right? Like, Let's say you didn't have to go into Wikipedia and look up some of these characters. Like, Monica would be a great example, right? I knew nothing about Monica, I didn't know that she would become another version of Ms. Marvel down the line and leader of the Avengers, right? My husband knew all this. So he, as soon as he found out that she was in it, he was just like, he paused it to explain to me. He's like, do you know who she (laughs) is? She is like going to be the future leader of the Avengers. And he's telling me all this back. So I'm like, okay can I just watch the show? Because like I don't know if Marvel is going to go that route with this TV show. You know, putting a black lady in charge of the Avengers seems like a risky decision that Disney might not be ready to make, in my opinion. So
1: I also have an encyclopedic husband who sits next to me and is like, oh, oh, and I'm like, what does that mean? And then he'll have to pause it and tell me what's <laughs> going on. So, yeah, so I didn't really have to look anything up. I was just told as we went along. And I have started reading more comics in the last year, just partially, because there's time now. So I actually am, it's starting to kind of coalesce in my head. I'm starting to make these connections on my own a little bit, but I can always be reminded because I feel like there are always new nuggets that I had forgotten about. Brian,
2: Mark? No one was pausing the TV for me, except I would occasionally pause and just scream because I didn't understand what was going on. I admit I would see these headlines, especially with Quicksilver. And apparently that was some sort of big deal if indeed the universes were being tied. And I did not remember that character being played by that actor in the X-Men movies. So I knew I was missing things. And I knew throughout that I would be missing things. And I would almost, as Erica mentioned, Rolando, I, I don't like spoilers. And I would almost just rather find out later and have it explained than know at the time.
1: Because that's kind of how you know if it's a successful show, right? It's not necessarily, it doesn't need to do fan service to be a good show. That should be an extra thing, in my opinion. You should just like the show because it's an enjoyable story.
0: Yeah, and I think they did a good job like introducing Monica Rambeau. These characters, the Randall Park character, the ones that it didn't matter that they were necessarily connected. They weren't talking about their time with Thor or their time with Captain
2: America Mm -hmm. or whatever. You needed it to understand the stinger or the second stinger for the end of the last episode. Oh, yeah, like the setup for the future,
0: which is normal. Like if you didn't know who Nick Fury was, then seeing it at the end of the first Iron Man movie, who
2: cares? <laughs> I think that's why they are stingers because it's just for fans and they're mm-hmm. not you don't need to watch them to enjoy it. Do you
1: think she's going up to meet Nick Fury though or do you think she's just going up to meet the guy who's the head of the Skrulls? Cuz that's what I thought. I wasn't even thinking Nick Fury. I think the latter.
3: Oh, no, yeah. I think it's definitely Nick Fury. Because we found out Nick Fury is in that spaceship above Earth in the end of Spider-Man, I think. Ah. Yeah, see? So, yeah, so that's where you had to, like, be paying attention. Okay, like, okay. For those, for those things. But, yeah, 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 he. I think it's Nick Fury.
0: I'm just wondering about sort of the reveal of Agatha. Like, oh, this is the big bad. It's been her all along. Did that seem like it came out of nowhere? I mean, it turns out she's not even the one that it was still... Wanda causing all the stuff. So like saying it's her all along while well she was involved in doing something and now she's going to be the antagonist for the next couple episodes. It doesn't completely remake. It's not a Shyamalan twist that there is this character and that's clearly something that meant something very different from you if you knew that this was a character from the comics and about the role of that character in the comics and things so i did feel like something is being pulled over on me or so yeah i I don't know that did not seem something that was at all natural though i guess it could have just like you know a good murder mystery the fact that this character was sort of uniquely like oh should we do another take on that it was like certain things that she was saying that were unique to that character
3: i agree with you in terms of making her like the big bad maybe Did it make sense? Because the question is like, which came first? Was Agatha happened to be in the same town where this all happened? And then she started to like use her powers to manipulate things? She wanted to become, you know, get all the powers that Scarlet Witch has. Or did she feel this presence of power from her and then like move into town? I think clearly the latter. But I don't think they even explained it, right? So you kind of left a little bit in the dark there. I'm hoping that maybe it's because they're going to explore Agatha, maybe in like future properties. And again, anything to see Katherine Hahn get more work.
1: Absolutely. I was so glad they didn't kill her off. I'm interested to see what they can still do with the town of Westview and what they can do with her. One thing my husband and I talked about a lot this week was how many good villains Marvel just gets rid of after one movie. So it would be great to see somebody like her stick around and and keep popping her head up. And particularly, I guess that kind of has to be a villain who's not just a big, big bad. You know, it's got to be somebody like Loki who has a good side and a dark side and has a usefulness for the side of whatever good is. And she could, you know, and that was, I think, what an interesting episode when she made Wanda go back and figure out what the source of this whole thing was. Yes, she was a malevolent force in many ways, but she was also trying to get her to understand what those powers were and draw it out of her, of course, for her own purposes.
0: But there's no evidence she was going to like toast the entire town, <laughs> like disregard the lives of the mortals involved. Mm
3: you think you you think i don't know because when she made the offer of what did she say specifically she said that she'll take the powers and then she'll like restore order but then she's like oh but i forgot to tell you like once a spell is cast like you can't undo it or something yeah that was pretty shitty yeah i think she was just gonna let the people was just like all right whatever happens to them happens to them i have your power good for me I feel it might have been in more capable hands with Agatha because Agatha, all she was after was just uh was a source of, of all knowledge, right? If the MCU hasn't dealt with her as like a bad guy, then that I means she's been like just chilling with all power. So if she had taken the Scarlet Witch's true powers, it probably would have been better hands in someone as emotionally unstable as Wanda. Because I think, you know, as we saw in the setup for the future movies, I think she's obviously going to be like the key to whatever the next Doctor Strange
0: film is going to be.
3: But then where would the Marvel Universe be if like if that were the case? So,
0: So I guess what do we want <laughs> next? We this want- was a strange high bar in some ways to set. And I I already expressed that I'm not necessarily, you know, I'll of course watch the next (laughs) The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but it would be interesting if they could do something as original as this. I'm not expecting it.
2: Well, a lot is known about what's coming next. I don't know if you're all familiar with what's on the docket for TV and for the movies, but there's a series coming out called What If? Are you familiar with this coming out later this year? No, it's an episodic. It's going to be 10 episodes. It is animated and it's 10 different episodes of what if different parts of the Marvel universe, if if one event had changed, how would it have unfolded differently? So it's these kind of bite sized alternate universes, which I'm really interested in part because you, you can do some really interesting things, particularly if you have, it looks like they have all the voice talent, but of course it's a different budget when you're doing it animated. But It really speaks to like the crazy deep and textured mythology that you can even do this, right? Because you have to have enough of a, (laughs) this giant Bible to work from to even start tweaking it and making these little changes to see what happens. I think it's going to be kind of a nice little breathing point to explore some of what we've already seen. Some of the other things on the list for upcoming series for this year is a Loki series, Ms. Marvel hawkeye now we're getting into late 21 early 22 moon night she hulk and what they call the guardians of the galaxy holiday special in late 2022 i think that is just about <laughs> it, it makes my heart sing that title
1: <laughs> that's so great i am excited for she hulk we got tatiana maslany
0: oh she's so good oh, i can't wait yeah i read the comics of that which i don't know if you're familiar with the premise of the comics is she's a superhero lawyer <laughs> And so if they actually retain that as like, that's what the TV show is about, I will be tickled pink. Well, after
3: seeing what WandaVision does, I think she's going to need a good lawyer. So yeah, it's clearly a
2: setup. <laughs> i want to see She-Hulk and Daredevil not using their powers, just in court, arguing against each other. Oh, I would love that. Yes.
1: Just trying to control their powers the whole time. That's right. There's nothing better than seeing people, like, everything simmer underneath.
2: I spent a
0: little time arguing with Fred Van Lente how there should be, when he was on here, the comic book writer, that one of the properties that he wrote for, Marvel Zombies, should be made into a movie or something. And he was like, oh, no, 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 that'll never be happening. But I just learned today, watching a video that mentioned this What If show that you were bringing up, Brian, that that is one of the episodes. Marvel Zombies is...
2: (laughs) actually happening wow that's great
3: and i think (laughs) it might be one of the last times we get chadwick boseman as black panther because i think he had already given his voice for the episode that he's in where he's going to be instead of chris pratt's character it'll be what a chadwick boseman's character was taken by the guardians of the galaxy instead
1: oh yeah
2: i think that's one of the what ifs getting the chills thinking about this it's so exciting
1: so i would like mark an answer to your question I would also like an Incredible Hulk movie starring actually Mark Ruffalo. I think he deserves it. I think he's had a really interesting arc. The character has had a really interesting arc, especially with everything that happened in Endgame. There's so many things that they can go into, but there is also an element of grief from him losing Black Widow as well and how she helped control his anger. So, yeah, I would love to see a Mark Ruffalo film.
3: I actually would love to see a TV show, even if it's like a one-off of just an exploration of minor MC Marvel Cinematic Universe characters after the blip. When they gave us the episode with Monica and the scene that was like first 10 I thought it was like, ooh, this would make such a good show if you just explore all these different characters and how they had to either adjust immediately after the blip or immediately coming back from the blip. And I thought it was just like, this seems, now this could be... You could just do one season of just like these minor stories. And I think that could be compelling because that was such it gave me such a rush of emotions. I was just like, oh, I could that panic that Monica was feeling not knowing where her mom was and seeing all these people kind of just going like, what's happening? What's going that seemed like such a great concept for a TV show, like the opposite of The Leftovers.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's that French series. They came, or it is in a movie. They came back. And it's all of their dead people who come back from their graves. But they're not like scary zombies. They're just kind of like a little bit out of it in very much a French way. Instead of it being like scary because they're undead, it's scary because like life has moved on without them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, what do we do? We've got to get them back their jobs. It's not their fault that they died, you know, that we have to open at their office for them again.
3: (laughs) No, those kinds of stories are so worth exploring. Like what happens to the man who is remarried? Yeah. You know, (laughs) like, how do you pick
0: you know tom hanks was stuck on the island but then he disappeared for five years and he reappeared and he was still on the island and what's going on <laughs> i mean that was one of my
3: favorite versions of that right i oh, i mean just the tragedy of seeing them together in the rain and just crying because they can't be together because like she moved on and and it would be wrong on a moral level uh, yeah those kinds of stories always get me
1: the marvel cinematic universe has done a wonderful job of opening up this genre to so many possibilities and rather than trying to create one film that answers everything they keep asking more questions they keep it open and gosh that's really a smart way to do business right
2: Mm -hmm. i think it really would have been great if they could have managed not to have a big fight at the end of one division because it would have said we can make a different kind of show that doesn't involve yeah having it and it was fine and I kind of thought it was pretty cool actually when the giant hexes appeared even though we they said it was coming in the previously on right I mean we we knew that was going to be something but still they still haven't quite given themselves the freedom to just tell a story that doesn't have spectacle and maybe you have to have it but I think there's room for stories in the MCU that don't have that kind of Spectacle. And there was spectacle in other ways. I thought when the Hex expanded and it went through the military camp and became a circus, that might have been my favorite yeah. effect of the show. It was smart and it was clever. And every time it went through something, it was surprised what it would turn into. And I was kind of clapping at the television as it happened because it made me so happy.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I did not need two witches and two visions having battles in the sky. That did nothing for me.
0: I hear you, but I feel like, for instance, if She Hulk did turn out to be purely a legal procedural with no superheroics actually depicted on the screen, then we would see a lot of articles of like, what is the Marvel Universe come to? What, what, is, what are
2: we even doing here? It's like I've the heard- amount of superheroics between episodes one and eight. It was sort of like the big superhero fight that I just feel is done to death. And I just get, I just, I want to watch it one and a half speed because let's just get through this and get back to the story. I usually feel
1: like that about any Any fight scene, with the exception of John Wick, because that's why you're there.
0: I recall watching the commentary by the filmmakers on Lord of the Rings when Saruman and Gandalf are having their wizard battle, and Peter Jackson saying, "I hate wizard battles. Like this is why he had them just like knock each other around instead of like just having their staffs. Gandalf has a, a a white light, and Saruman's has a yellow light. And how will the tug of war?" And we saw that both in the visions fighting each other and in Wanda and Agatha fighting each other. And that is a pretty goofy. There's no good way to have wizards fight. I think on screen.
3: That was Scorsese's complaints about Marvel properties in general. Right. I forgot the exact quote that he said, but it was like, I remember pissed off a lot of fanboys, but myself as someone who has like studied film, it's just like, he's not wrong. These are just like popcorn flicks. I think Disney has contractually obligated Kevin Feige to make sure that there is a boss battle at the end of each property. But, you know, <laughs> if you don't have that spectacle, I feel that their fear is like, what are audiences there for? That is more so the studio mindsets of kind of just thinking that like audiences are dumb. Right. They haven't evolved past the fact that like we can appreciate nuance. We can appreciate like we can appreciate storytelling. Right. At least it was only one episode with one giant boss fight. Right. It wasn't like two or three episodes, every two or three episodes, like big, big battle.
0: Or they have to happen every episode, I think would be the more normal way that we're going to have 45 minute episodes and there's got to be a climax at the end of every one.
3: Yeah. And luckily they they didn't go that route. They actually were able to tell me a story that I was just compelled to continue watching because otherwise it it would get tedious, you know? Just watching fight after fight after fight.
1: Did any of you see uh, Marvel's Behind the Mask on Disney? They talked to a a lot of different creators and people who've been at, who started at Marvel. And and one of the things that came up was that Stanley said that what makes Marvel special is that story. It's that human story behind the characters. It's not the superpower, it's the person behind the mask that makes it that much more interesting. So there is a basis for it not to just be a spectacle. Movie or TV show. That doesn't mean that it can't be exciting and it doesn't mean that there can't be powers shown and all of that. But ultimately, the most, I think, successful moments of WandaVision one was one of the images that when the entire town comes up to her and they say that we're grieving every time, like we don't have our own dreams, we have your nightmares. And they start screaming and you see these nooses around their necks and she screams and they scream. That is what makes this show compelling to me and i think that they could have gotten away without the big boss fight
3: Mm -hmm. i agree with you this show actually reminded me a little bit of another female-centric marvel show that i think is now going to get overlooked because of wandavision and that would be jessica jones because jessica jones yeah one of my favorite marvel shows but jessica jones took that you know this was about grief jessica jones was about ptsd it was about rape that show did the solid of not giving us a boss battle. Did they I mean, I'm trying to remember. It wasn't a boss battle at the end, right? She just like breaks his neck by like manipulating they him. They
2: sort of subvert a boss battle and then. That. Yeah, that's yeah. it.
3: Okay. Uh I oh yeah, I remember that correctly. Cuz like the rest of the series would have her do like some boss fights and but the first season was a lot more kind of really brutal storytelling and you found out it's just like okay good a show can be smart and really explore the human psyche without having to give you like all these like big big rambunctious fights but that was also a netflix property right we know it's not like completely connected to a marvel cinematic
2: universe so you know i think that one division also is aiming for a broader audience it's not just that it's a different audience but it's a bigger one and they do need to keep in mind that kids are watching it and there's definitely an age group you would not want watching jessica jones and and kids may not get everything going on in one division but i have a feeling that they will appreciate that big fight at the end in a way that maybe it's fresher to them or it's just for a different kind of audience Much like The Mandalorian, it really does avoid going to the very dark places that it could go because it is very obviously aimed at adults and some range of kids. Well, we should wrap up here. We could obviously go on, I think we've identified a lot of other topics that we could do for
0: future superhero media. Maybe we can talk about some of those and some offshoots and uh, do some podcast comparisons. Can you stick around for the after talk a little bit, Rolando? Sure. Sure. All right. Well, folks can get that at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Thank you, listeners.
1: Thanks so much, listeners, and thanks for joining us, Rolando.
2: Yeah, thanks, Rolando. This was really enjoyable. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Get more Pretty
0: Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life Podcast Network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.